Sunday, we have our um, Compassion Sunday, so be thinking about that and making sure you're here for that as far as praying about maybe God would have you to sponsor a child, so I want to encourage you with that. Um, ladies event coming up, obviously, in just a couple weeks, we'll be watching for that. Sign up for that if you're interested in that. Um, park and sell event, also want to remind you on that if you want to be a vendor. Uh, that's going to be going on that first Saturday of June, so you can be a vendor for that. Sell some items, make some money, or maybe you want to come up and help and serve in some way, just help with parking and different things. Um, it's always good to have a few hands on hand, and then Kelsey's going to be kind of overseeing that for us, so if you have any questions, you can see her. Um, but let you know some of those things going on. Um, those are the couple big things. And then uh, Word of Life Awards Ceremony is Sunday. So be thinking about that as well. Um, we do want to jump kind of into the lesson in just a moment. But I know we prayed already once. But I do want to ask, are there any uh, prayer concerns? Does anyone have a prayer concern they want to share tonight before we get into the devotion? We always do this on Sunday nights. And we kind of got away from it with our Not Forsaken study. Uh, we didn't have a lot of time for it at that point with the study. But now we're back to normal. So I do want to just open it up. Uh, just see if anybody has any prayer concerns they want to share tonight before we get started. Yes, ma'am. Okay. 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 So be praying for the, what was the last name? Faraday. Okay. Be praying for Scott Faraday and the family with this diagnosis and everything. Want to be praying for healing and for comfort there, for wisdom for the doctors. Anyone else? Any other prayer concerns? It's just the projectors. I know some of you are like, why? What's beeping? There's no bomb. It's fine. Any other prayer concerns? Be praying for some in our church family that are under the weather. Um, some that are not here today or tonight because of that. So be praying for them. Um, some that are kind of struggling with sickness or getting better, be praying for them for sure. Anyone else? All right. Well, if not, we can go ahead and pray. I was trying to think if there was any big ones recently that I wanted to share. I, don't, I can't think of any really. Um, so continue to pray for that for sure. All right. Well, let's, I know we already prayed once, but let's pray, and then we'll uh, get into the devotion. Father, we come before you again tonight, Lord, just so thankful for this opportunity just to worship you, Lord, to just spend time in uh, your word. It's such a great blessing, and we do pray, Father, you'd be with uh, just our church family, Lord, those that are struggling with sickness or just different issues there. Lord, pray just watch over them, bring healing and comfort, Father. Um, Lord, we do pray that you would just minister to uh, Scott and his family, Lord, just with this diagnosis uh, progressing and, and uh, Lord, advancing quicker than anyone could really imagine. And just pray that you would just bring healing and comfort there, Lord. Just watch over them. I pray that your, your will would be done there. Obviously, Lord, if it's healed or if he's to be healed, then do that. And Lord, we'll glorify you there. If it's to heal him by taking him to, 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 help, to home, Lord, to heaven, then we just praise you for that. So, Father, whatever it is that you're going to do, we just praise you for that. Lord, we do pray that you, again, would just be with our time tonight. Lord, help us to, to get much from you and from what you have for us as we study this topic this evening. And again, Father, we thank you for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so tonight, what we're doing is I want to follow up, as I said this morning, on something I mentioned in the, the, most, the message this morning. And uh, I mentioned that God in his providence is working in all things to make us more like Christ. And so I think we would all agree, as followers of Christ, that's a true 
statement that God is working, and we have to agree it's true, right? Because the Bible says it. But it's a true statement not only from Scripture, but we've seen it even in our own lives. God works in all things to make us more like Christ, to grow us into who Christ would have us to be, to, to represent Christ as his follower. And then he uses that representation of Christ-likeness to glorify himself and bless others. But when you think about that statement— and we all agree with that statement. I don't know about you, but I've, uh, up until just recently, never really kind of dove into this idea of what that looks like. I've studied things about what God has done. I've, I've seen examples of it in Scripture, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I've never really studied through specifically this idea of providence, this word of providence. Um, it's only until recently that a book uh, was kind of in some reading that I was doing somewhere else. Um, I was looking at some different resources, and a friend of mine, um, who honestly is one of the smartest people I I probably know. Um, his father was a professor at the college I went to school, and where I went to school, and uh, his his father was next level smart. Um, he was the kind of guy that you'd sit in class and 20 minutes in, you're just, your paper's full of notes and he's just that kind of a guy, but really a humble guy, down to earth guy. Well, his son is just as smart um, and just extremely intelligent person. And so I was coming across some different resources and I was asking him, I said, hey, I'm not really familiar with this author, this individual. And I think he rattled off like four different resources by this author. And so we're going to reference some of that tonight, but, but it got me down this road of thinking about providence and thinking about how we, we reference it. We see it in scripture. We see it in our lives, but have we ever really stopped and paused and study it, studied it as a doctrine? And if you know me, I really believe that one of the keys to living a, a healthy and full Christian life is to know doctrine. And, and someone can tell me, what does the word doctrine really mean? When I say a doctrine, what, am I, what does that word mean? What's another word we could use in place of doctrine? It's kind of in what you do with doctrine, I guess. Sandra? Clo yes, yes. Belief would be tied to it. How do you learn doctrine? What does it usually take to learn doctrine? Somebody has to do this. Teach it, right? So doctrine just means teaching. It's a teaching. A doctrine is a teaching, okay? Now, we understand what Sanders said is true. Our beliefs should be based in what? A teaching. And where should that teaching be based? In God's word, right? A lot of times we have beliefs that are based not on teaching, but on emotion, on culture, on uh, influences of people around us, right? Somebody thinks something and that influences us to think or believe something. And that can be fine at times. But when it comes to biblical understanding of who God is and what God does and how we live again in this world for Christ, we have to go to God's word. And so this idea of doctrine and understanding doctrine, I want to kind of unpack that with this idea of Providence, providence. And I, I kind of jokingly said something, or Anthony kind of jokingly said something earlier. When I mentioned providence, he goes, you mean Long Island? And I, no, or Rhode Island, sorry, not Long Island, Rhode Island. And I said, no, 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 it's, it's not that kind of providence. And so I, I think he was joking. I, maybe not. Actually, maybe not. Maybe he was really like, you're talking about the place or what? Um, so I want to kind of unpack this. We're going to go real basic and kind of build from there. Um, another, if you're looking for another sermon that kind of deals with the idea of providence that I've preached somewhat recently is, uh, if you go online, I preached through the book of Esther here not that long ago. I want to say it was maybe a year ago, maybe a little more, a little less. Um, Esther is a great example of providence. It's a great practical example we see in Bible history of providence. And what's interesting about that book is it's one of the few books that does not mention the name God anywhere in the book. 
But yet, from cover to cover of that book, you can see example of God's hand, God's working. That hand of God moving across the pages, that's providence. That's what we really are talking about there. So to unpack this a little bit more, the word itself, providence, uh, we can't go to a Bible verse and point at the word providence. It's not in Scripture. The word itself, providence, is not in Scripture. This is not a problem for us because the word itself in our English Bible not being there doesn't mean it's not in the Bible. It just means that English word is not in our Bible. There's another very popular word that we very much believe. It's not in our Bible, our English Bible, even in the New Testament. What word would that, what's an example of that word or a word like that? Okay, rapture. I didn't even have that one listed, but yeah, yep, rapture. We believe this about our God and our Godhead, but the word itself is not in Scripture. Trinity, right? Trinity is not in Scripture. That's why there are some who don't believe in the Trinity, and they'll go, well, you can't show me a verse that says God is Trinity or God is a Trinity. Because that English word, we take what we see in Scripture, right? By the way, is the Trinity in Scripture? It's pretty clear. Right? Ephesians 1, the baptism of Christ, two great examples of the Trinity. We see that in Scripture, and theologians right, and Bible scholars give that a name. They created a name and gave that to that belief. And so the word providence not being in Scripture is not a problem, as long as it is in Scripture as far as an idea or it's present in God's behavior. Okay, So, Providence is not in Scripture, but it's obviously ever-present through all of God's words. The word itself, it comes from the Latin, and it comes from two words being put together. The Latin word for pro, which means ahead of time, ahead of time, and the word vide, or it might kind of shock you. I don't know. Maybe you know this. Uh, That's where we get the word video, vide, V-I-D-E. Video is our English word for video. And why do we call it a video? Because we can see it. And so vide literally means to see. So provide or providence, it literally means to see ahead of time, to see something ahead of time. Providence is the idea of seeing something before it happens, ahead of time. A basic understanding could be uh, to take steps to make sure it happens is also implied in the definition. So Providence is something is happening or going to happen and someone knows what's going to happen before it happens and they can actually see to it happening. They can make sure it actually happens. So God is making provisions and God has always made provisions so that things move towards his desired outcome. God is making provisions and continually makes provisions so that things move toward his desired outcome. The reality is, and again, this is one of the things we say, but I want to give you why we say this. God has a plan, and that plan will happen. And I think so many Christians go, yeah, big picture, I get that. Individual life, I've met Christians that tell me, yeah, I I messed up God's plan for my life. I just blew God's plan for my life. I got saved at this age. I wandered at this age. I drifted. Then I came back. And that whole season I drifted, I just blew God's plan for my life. As though God was in heaven, unaware that you were going to drift. Unaware that you were going to get distracted and go sideways. Now, we have to understand this. I'm not talking about God saying, well, I have this will and you changed it, so now i got to change my will. God has a desired, ideal way we should live our lives. 
Uh, we see it all through Scripture, right? Uh, marriage is a good example of this. There's the ideal biblical marriage. God says, if you do this as a husband and if you do this as a wife, this will be the outcome in your marriage. The problem is neither husband or wife will do those things perfectly. So we see marriages, Christian marriages, that are good, healthy, strong marriages, but not perfect. Why? Because even when they do them 80% of the time, follow those biblical examples, we're still fallen flesh, we still have you know, issues, we still make mistakes, so we're never going to be perfect. But we've seen at least glimpses of, man, when we live God's ideal, things are a lot better. And because we can go our different ways and make our own choices, we tend to think, well, there's God's perfect will and God's permissive will. And I don't know that I fully, I understand why people say that, but I also think what we're really saying is that God has two wills because God didn't know one or the other was going to happen. That's not really what we see in scripture. If you got saved at 18 and we'll say backslidden, that's the term that most people understand, or drifted or just got distracted by something at 20. And then at 24, you've been under conviction the whole time, by the way. At 24, you finally go, okay, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry. I repent of that. I come back to you. And then now God begins to use you to do something in ministry. Those years, it wasn't like God had a whiteboard and he was drawing a line and then he went, oh, you veered down here. Now we're down here. Oh, now we got to go back up here. To God, that's one continual line. Because he knew what you were going to do here and here and here and here. And he was working in all things. Why? So that when you drifted at 20, he was going to already have things ready to go. This is crazy to me. That when you drifted at 20, God, before you were even saved, was working on people's hearts and minds. So that when you were 21 and 22 and 23, some Christian somewhere was praying for you or encouraged you or came alongside you and said a word of encouragement that you had no idea who they were or why they were saying it to you. But God's been laying it on their heart. God got them there because God knew where you were going to be. He knew what you needed so that you would return when you were 24. It's crazy to me that God works and orchestrates and does all this. And nowhere in any of this is God going, you have no choice. This is God saying, no, I give you the choice. I know what you're going to do, and my plan is going to be accomplished. So here's the beauty of that and the freedom of that. No choice you make will stop God's plan from being accomplished. Which means, Philippians 1.6 is a really good verse to put to heart. Because he says, I will finish what I started in you. You can't stop God's plan from being finished in you. You can't stop it globally. You can't stop it in the universe. You can't stop it when it comes to how the things are going to end in the end times. You can't change it. It it is what it is, and it's happening. But at the end of the day, individually, you can't choose something that God goes, well, I was really doing good getting you to that point of perfection in Christ, but now you've blown it. My hands are off. I can't do anything about it. He's going to accomplish his plan. And I know some of this can be kind of tricky. I know some of us have maybe been around individuals that believe things and have views on things. And they titles have been given to this in theological circles on on different things. The reality is scripture says God has a plan. He's providing the things to make sure that that plan happens. It's going to happen. And you get to choose how you're involved in that plan. How it all comes together is for God to decide. Not for me to work out every small detail. An example of this. In scripture, uh, Isaiah 46.10. Isaiah 46.10. And uh, we usually do have people read on Sunday nights. I know we're a little smaller tonight, but that's fine. I'd love to still have somebody read. 
And so Isaiah 46.10, if I can have a volunteer, I'd like to read that for us. That would be great. Cedra, awesome. Give everyone just a minute, and then go ahead. So that's a powerful beginning of that verse, isn't it? It says, declaring the end from the beginning. Not only saying, I, I've got a pretty good idea how this is going to end. He's saying, no, I can declare to you exactly how it's going to end when it starts. Like, that's our God. That's what God is. That's who God is. We see countless examples in scripture of God making provisions that his plans, so that his plans will be accomplished. I jotted down a couple. I'm going to give you one, and then I just really want to hear what you guys think. Some things from scripture that come to mind. God making provisions so that his plan will be accomplished. I'll give you one example to kind of tell you where where I'm at with my thinking. God giving Joseph the dream that Mary was telling the truth about baby Jesus. I see that as God making a provision so that his plan would be accomplished. Because when Joseph received that affirmation from, from God, what did he turn around and do? Yeah, he married her and he took her and raised Jesus as his own son, right? What was Joseph going to do before that intervention of God? He was going to divorce her. He's going to put her away privately, the Bible says. So this is God making a provision so that his plan would be accomplished. Any other examples from Scripture that come to mind? Sandra. Yes, yes, in Egypt, yeah. Okay, so what's the, what's the way that God made a provision? Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was able to save his family. He was able to really provide for his future generations, right? The whole tribe of Israel. And so, yes, because Joseph was in prison when he was imprisoned, because of who was in prison with Joseph, because God gave him the ability to interpret dreams, right? And because God brought him before Pharaoh to interpret this dream and, and kind of be acknowledged for that, God orchestrated, he provided, right? Here again is the beauty of the, the kind of the ebb and flow of this. Joseph was not a robot in prison going, I will interpret dreams. I will do the, no, Joseph made free will choices. He made a choice to not give in to Potiphar's wife, which led him being put into prison. And this is again, the beauty of God's sovereign and providence. So another example from scripture. What else comes to mind as an example of God making provisions so that his dream, or that his, his dream, Joseph's dream came true, but so that God's plan will come true? Abraham. Okay. Because he told him that he would have a son and that the nations would be blessed by him. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so in Joseph, Joseph's case, made good choices, not the greatest cultural or, you know, 
situational consequences because he ends up in jail. Abraham made not the right choices, and God still worked in that as well, right? And provided the continual blessing of Jesus, right, through the line. Absolutely. Any other examples come to mind in Scripture? Yeah, Josiah. The three guys in the fire? Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Okay. Or Rakshak and Benny, depending on your cultural background, okay? If you're familiar with VeggieTales, okay? So God provided and made a provision for his plan by, by what? How did he provide in that moment? Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar made a statue, yeah? Right? Furnace. Okay. <laughs> so the provision was that God spared them, right? That they made a choice to stand up and God spared them, right? And God's plan, God's will was continuing to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yep. Displayed God's power, that he was the true God. Absolutely. Any other examples that come to mind of God making a provision so that his plan would be accomplished? Anthony? Okay. Yeah. That he basically warned him this is coming, and then it happened, right? And we know what, what was the God's will in that that was accomplished by the Babylonians being overthrown. Yeah, right? The Israelites got to go home, okay? Yeah. They were released and able to go back to the land and be able to do all that. So Nehemiah and Ezra and all of that took place, right? Any other examples? Uh, okay. Right, yep. So the provision that God made was what? Okay, yep. Okay, yeah. And it's because God needed the spies to be saved and rescued so that he could turn around and do what he did with the people. And so, yeah, absolutely. Pastor Greg? Okay. Yep. Yeah, he had that fish, not a whale, fish. I'm glad he said a fish, um, a large fish, big fish, whatever, um, actually swallow him up, right? So that the Ninevites would repent and all those kind of things. Absolutely. Um, another one comes to my mind, just a couple, is um, going back to the life of Christ. Because when I was thinking about this, I was thinking the life of Christ obviously is crucial. It's, it's you know, obviously very, very important to the Christianity we see today, uh, the cross and the resurrection and so on. But warning Joseph to flee to Egypt was God making a provision so that the will of God would be accomplished. Um, God warning the wise men not to return to Herod, okay? Because, again, it delayed what Herod could do, and it gave Joseph time to get away. Um, and so, again, lots of different examples here. Any other examples that come to mind? Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And that's a good point. We, we don't, we see all these examples in scripture, which are our basis, but we see this not only in Old Testament and even in life of Christ, we see this in the New Testament church where God made provisions for things to happen certain ways. Um, it doesn't always make sense to us. Peter's released, but John the Baptist is beheaded. God, why didn't you make a provision for John the Baptist? Because whatever God's will and plan is, which I've always said, that is really comforting unless you're John the Baptist in, in that moment. But, or, or those that are just like, well, but he, well, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but, but, right. But it's oftentimes that when we, when we're not the ones being beheaded, it's, I'm just pointing out, it's easier for us to go, well, God's will is done with him, you know? And the guy being beheaded is like, you come over here, let's trade places, right? But yes, facetiously, yeah, like we understand that that's what happens. But so again, we see provision being made, right? So that God's will would be done. The gospel would be preached. Paul says it, that he says, nothing that's happened to me, right? And I want you to be ignorant of this. Nothing that happened to me or has happened to me is by like, chance or, you know, happenstance. Everything he says that has happened to me has happened to the furtherance of the gospel. Every imprisonment, every beating, every persecution, it's all so that the gospel would be preached in the palace and in the marketplace. And I'm kind of paraphrasing, but the idea is everywhere the gospel would go forth. So it's not only in the New Testament, we see that in the lives of believers, right? We see that in the lives of believers through church history, where some believers were spared, Right? Some Christians weren't martyred. Some Christians were allowed to continue to live. Other individuals, um, and we, we studied this a lot on Wednesday night when we went through different examples throughout kind of modern history of how God has worked in different places in the world where, where God would call someone to preach and then God would lay on this person's heart to provide the finances so that person could go preach. And now that person goes out and they're preaching and thousands are being saved, but they would never have been able to do that had this person who most people never even knew their name had not given literally at that time, probably thousands. And today it would be most likely millions of dollars to that ministry. And so again, we see these examples over and over again. One question that comes up with providence and thinking about providence and one comparison we need to be careful of not going all the way with is a question that might come up is, is God's sovereignty and providence the same? So we've heard of God's sovereignty and God is sovereign. And then we hear God is providential and he has providence. So are those two things the same? Could we just say, well, God's sovereign, sovereignty and providence, it's all the same. Once we understand one, we understand the other. The answer is no, not exactly. God's sovereignty and God's providence are not necessarily the same. God's sovereignty, and again, I have these on notes. If you want the notes, I can just give them to you if you want to copyright from them or just take your own. God's sovereignty, and I like the way this is kind of worded as a basic definition, uh, God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. So God's sovereignty, what we mean when we say God is sovereign, and we think sovereign, we think king, royal, right, ruling, authority. God's sovereignty is his right and his power to do all that he decides to do. God has the right and the power to do all that he decides to do. To do. This is where somebody being funny would say, well, then could God pick up a rock or could God make a rock too big to pick up and things like this, okay? No, because he would not decide to do something like that, 
Okay, so it's his right and his power to do all that he decides to do. Uh, Job, a good example of this, Job 42.2. Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know you can do all things. He literally can do all things. But notice, as one author points out, but notice that nothing in that definition of sovereignty refers to God's wisdom or God's plans. It's just right and power. You have the rights and you have the power to do what you decide to do. When he decides to do a thing, he does it, and no one can stop him. That's sovereignty. Providence, however, includes what sovereignty does not. Providence is sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. So that's kind of a good way to kind of see the two things here. Providence is sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. God has the right and the power to do whatever he decides to do. And his providence is that power and that authority, that, that might of God being used in wise purposes. Or you could say providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. So what an amazing thought. What God can, that God can do whatever he purposes to do and by his gracious and loving hand will do those things for his glory and our blessing. That God can do whatever he wants to do. He has the power to do it, but he doesn't just do it haphazardly. God's not just doing things that are just random. There's a purpose. There's a, there's a pattern. There's, a, there's an order to it. And it's a design. And he's using all of his authority to work this plan and these plans, I should say. In studying for this lesson specifically, I came across um, a quote. Actually, it's a a question and response from the Heidelberg Catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism. And some of you guys, you hear catechism and you think Catholic. We don't want to do that, though. Catechism is something that's very predominant in church history. It was very, it is very much used by the Catholic Church. But actually, a lot of denominations, even up until just recently, use the term catechism. So a catechism is basically just a training. It's a teaching, okay? It's, it's a resource used to educate children and young adults in doctrine and in God's word. Okay, it's actually very, very effective. Um, this is why, and I don't say this sarcastically, I really do mean this. If you try to witness to someone who is raised, I'm talking raised Catholic, meaning they actually lived it. They don't just go a couple times a year, which, by the way, a lot of Baptists or evangelicals can be guilty of as well. Um, if they really actually grew up with that and went to catechism and did all that, if they genuinely paid attention and wanted to be there, witnessing to them now is very difficult. Because there's a good chance they know more about church history and certain doctrines than you do. Because it's just been ingrained in them. Because catechisms, the reason they work is it's question and answer, question and answer, question and answer. You memorize the question, you memorize the answer. And it's not simple answers necessarily. So this specific catechism is from 1563. And it gives a summary answer to the question of providence. And just in my studies reading some different articles, different things. I came across this, and I love this response. So the question is, what do you understand by the providence of God? By the way, can we just pause for a second here? That's a question you would give to a child. Okay, that's what a child would be asked. I mean, we're talking maybe seven, eight years old. 
a child would memorize, what do you understand by the providence of God? I know some 11th graders in high school that would be like, what? What does that mean? You know? So you have to understand, this is, this is deeply ingrained. And, and I love this. I love that there's an expectation among those that we're teaching. And I love, by the way, this is why I love our junior church and Word of Life teachers. Because we have that expectation of our kids here. We have an expectation, our teachers have an expectation, that our children, if we will teach them, they can receive it. They can learn it. Um, and it's evidenced by the fact that sometimes when, you, as teachers, we think they're not listening, and they very much are. And they'll repeat back to you exactly what you said. And you wish they couldn't, because then you know you were listening and messing around. And that drives me crazy. <clears throat> so the question is, what do you understand by the providence of God? Listen to the answer. The Almighty, everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, and again, I can give this to anybody that wants to know, that wants to have a copy of it. As it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures, and so governs them that, that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That is amazing. That, that this is the truth of what, what do we understand of the providence of God? Well, it means that he is almighty. We're talking about that power, that sovereignty. Everywhere present power of God. Where can you go to escape the power of God? What does the psalmist say? Whether I make my bed in hell or Sheol. Or I'm over there, I'm in this, it doesn't matter. You're with, you're, you're everywhere. It means he's, his power is not limited. By his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them. He upholds everything by his hand. Then I love the comparison. It goes on that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, all of it, not by chance. Man, there's so many people today that are just like, I hope I'm, I'm lucky today and I'm able to get this and get that and do this. We're, they live their lives by this, this feeling of chance and a, a hope and a what if and a maybe. But we as followers of Christ, we don't live that way. We don't wish on a star. We don't, we don't have to talk to Jiminy Cricket, okay, and hopefully he'll help us out, you know. We don't have to do that because we have a God in our Father who is all-sufficient and will always provide what is needed. Now, I love this because I'm betting people in the barren years wished it was fruitful years. I'm betting people in the times of sickness. And this is again, we have to be so careful. Let's not just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's fine because there was, you were healthy before and, and God's in control. And, but they're sick now. So we can comfort them not by saying, you'll be better and God will heal you. He may. The comfort is in but God, even in this season, is upholding you and working his plan for his glory. And that's the glory that we take in that. Not that everything will get better, but that it already is as best as it can be because he is being glorified in his plan. So we can be in awe before our God who moves in and through our lives, seeing to it that his plans and purposes are fulfilled. I want to end with a quote, that book I was referring to just a little bit ago. I'm going to end the devotion. I guess I'll say it that way. And then I'd like to ask just for a moment if we have time for maybe you to share how you've seen God's providential hand in your own life. But I want to end with this quote from a book that, again, I recently started reading. It's entitled The Mystery of Providence. 
It's actually by a Puritan author named John Flavel, and I hope I'm saying his name right. Uh, It was actually published in 1698. It's obviously been revised, or else I probably couldn't read the English that it would be written in. But I love this quote. He said this, Who can but confess that as there are tools of all sorts and sizes in the shop of providence, I love this, the tools of all sorts and sizes in the shop of providence, so that so there is a most skillful hand that uses them, and that they could no more produce such effects of themselves, they could not produce such effects of themselves, than the axe, saw, or chisel can cut or carve a rough log into a beautiful figure without the hand of a skillful craftsman. I love this. Our lives are not in our hands. That's really the point of this. We make choices, but our lives are not really in our hands, but in the hands of an all-powerful and all-good Father. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for his good work. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that. That we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And so when we start feeling like, what's the point? Especially nowadays, we see all this chaos around us. We see all this confusion, all, this, all these people that are living with hopeless lives because inflation is up and this is up and that is up and gas is up and everything's up and what are we going to do? Do you know why believers throughout centuries have not had to fear the ebb and flow of daily life in our world? Because they know, yeah, inflation's up. That's not very pleasant. But my God's still in control. And this is where we have to stop and go, okay, yeah, but that, we can't let that just be a trite Christian saying. It can't just be something we say in church. Well, yeah, but God's in control. And then we go out and we fear and we, we strive and we, we try and we're freaking out because we saw an article or we read a news clipping or something. Listen, he is in control just as much today as he was in Genesis 1 when he said, let there be light. He never abdicated his authority. He never gave up his control. He never stopped for a second. Imagine if God turned his back for a second and stopped sustaining heaven and earth and just said, I'm going to let it slip for a second. You want to talk about chaos? Yeah. It just, it, we wouldn't even be held together according to Colossians. It's Christ that holds us together. And so to me, I I love this idea because I feel as though we live in a day and age where we've forgotten, not we, as believers generally, we can forget, maybe I'll say it that way, the providential hand of God. And man, when we realize that for, for thousands of years, as Christians, we've stood apart from the world because we don't fear, we trust. And so I know we can say things like this morning, well, God is working all things to good. And we go, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then we go home and we go, why is this happening? And why is that happening? And we can still ask God why. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we just kind of, you know, put our heads down and don't ask. You can ask. But when you ask, know the truth of God's word that says, but he's sustaining. And he never will stop. Nothing will thwart the plan of God. You will be like Jesus one day, fully, John says. You'll see him and you'll be like him. And nothing you do between now and then will stop that. Because you don't keep yourself in him. He keeps himself in you. He holds on to you. That's why he gave us his spirit to seal us into the day of redemption. And so again, the providential hand of God is an amazing way to worship and praise him.
So I, I wanted to really kind of share that tonight. Um, I, I pray it's a blessing to you. I pray it's an encouragement to you. I know, again, looking through all my notes, I've spoken to Providence. I've never done a lesson like this where I've actually tried to really give you the, the in-depth understanding of what Providence is. And so I pray it's a blessing to you. Um, I do want to pause for just a second and ask if somebody would like to share um, a way that you've seen. We talked about scripture. We talked about saints. We talked about, you know, things happening in the future. But how have you seen in your own life? And now it's 648, so y'all can't preach now, but you can share a few moments if you'd like a way that you've seen God's providential hand in your life. And you look back now and you go, I can see how he was working his plan for me, what he had for me, and I can see how he intervened and he made a way. Anyone want to share an example of that from your own life as an encouragement tonight? The way that God made a way provided in your life so that you, and you see God's will being done in your life. And you can say, okay, that was a moment that God directly intervened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, amen. At this time, the, there's a pension, and there's from all, all those areas for him and me, and his salvation. I mean, if you look at that picture of these two fallen people that were yeah. sent, yeah. that it's a miracle. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It, it's a miracle that um, but God's hand was on, even though we were living in sin, and, but his hand was on our living. Yes. Mm. I mean, his provision yeah. throughout our entire lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then now it continues on. And yeah. that's why the comfort when you said the tool, that yeah. when you read that, that's how I describe Randy's death, that God used the virus that everyone was so fearful of as a, his tool to bring Randy free from his... Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, yeah. But yet he was working God each step. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's amazing. Yeah. No, that's so good. That's so good. Um, anyone else? have an example from your own life of how you can see God's providential hand working again. And what Julie said is true. It's not usually one thing. Um, there's multiple things. Uh, for some of us, maybe there was that one moment, like for Randy, that 9-11 moment that triggered a lot of other things. But anyone else want to share before we dismiss in prayer in just a few minutes? Example of how God's providential hand was working in some way that turned a, a moment for you where you just look back and go, that's how God continued to work his will in my life or continues to do that? Do you have one? Was that a raised hand? Oh, I, I saw this. Like, I don't know. Go ahead. Yes, yeah. But he always placed good influences in, in my life. And um, just, I, I just think of all the, the ways that led me to being a faithful church attender and, and being the body of Christ. And I knew I was going to be a pastor's wife. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, saved at a young age, but not really going to church, but always had that Christian friend or that Christian influence to be able to remind you and be that example for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Another way that you've seen God's providential hand? Sure. Amen. Wow. That's amazing. Amen. I love that because he knew where you'd be. I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Anyone else? I was hoping Sandra would say it's the day she got married. But that, she didn't go there, so that's fine. Oh, you did. You did say pastor's wife. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I, I, I guess there are those sort of 
bigger moments I feel God does work um, that leads to another season. Um, God may open a door that you step through, and the next thing you know, now there's all these other things that happen over the next 10, 20 years. Um, but usually, yes, the providential hand of God is in the minor things. It's in the smaller things. But there are those moments, too, where I do believe, like what we said, is that it's like those big moments where it's like, okay, I can definitely see it was a crossroads, let's say, or fork in the road. I could have went A or I could have went B. And God, through whatever way, opened a door, opened a, a window of influence, opened my heart and mind to him, gave me a wisdom, gave me an understanding, um, had a conversation with someone, and that made, led me, rather, to make this choice. And now I see, man, look at how God's moved in this choice versus where I could have been. And that's really what we're kind of saying is where we could have been without the providential hand of God. So, but I want to encourage you guys this week. This is entitled or intended to lead us to worship, to lead us to be thinking about these things, to be aware of these things. So to go through our next week, we're not just kind of like, oh, that was a cool coincidence or that was a cool moment. We can actually stop and go, God, thank you for working in this. And then why? So that we'll glorify him, right? We'll realize we're blessed because he delights in us as we delight in him. But then also you work with, are surrounded with, live in a community with tons of people who don't have the knowledge you have. They literally think everything they see is just chaotic happenstance. They think their own existence is the result of some random evolutionary process. And so they don't have this comfort that you have. So I, I want to encourage you in whatever way you can, however God has given you opportunity to do this, whatever influence you have, I'm not talking about like necessarily preaching at people, but if God gives you that opportunity, do it. But I'm saying, how can we be that testimony so that people will say, man, but why are you not freaking out? Why are you not scared? Why are you not panicking? And if you have panicked and freaked out and worried and you now go, well, I've kind of blown it. No, there's no such thing. You go to that person and you can explain to them, hey, I just want you to know I kind of got a little freaked out over here. But, but I'm trusting in God on this. And so we can obviously kind of speak to it that way as well. So again, I hope it's an encouragement to you to continue to worship him, continue to keep your eyes on him and be thankful for all that he does. And so let's pray and we'll let you guys be dismissed. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for being an all-powerful and all-good Father. A Savior who not only sees to it that we would come to know you as Savior by the working of your love and spirit in our lives, that we would have opportunity to come to know Christ. But you also, as both in Christ and outside of Christ, you work and you move and you guide and, and you equip. And Lord, you're just so, so good to give us all that we need. Lord, it's not always what we want. It's not even always what we pray for. But you know what we need and why we need it. You know what needs to take place for your will to take place and your plan to continue to go. And so we thank you that while things seem chaotic at times, there's, there's an order. There is a reason behind these things. And so, Father, we thank you for your providential hand. We thank you for being a God that is able to do all things. And yet you have a wise purpose in all that you do. So we can trust in you and in your wisdom. Father, again, thank you for these that are here, Lord. Pray you'd be with those that weren't able to make it. May you go with us into this week. Help us to worship you in a deeper way this week, to worship you fuller for the God that you are. Help us to be a testimony for you in a fallen world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.